Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares urges us to listen to God. Reconsider the importance of God's words. God has spoken. And here's the deal. He's using people. He's using the printed page. He's using Christian books. He's using Christian podcasts, Christian radio, to get that information into your life. And you need to know it comes with the authority of heaven. The wise men packed up their belongings and traveled for months in search of the king. The shepherds left their flocks to see the baby in the manger. So how about you? Are you seeking after God? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares encourages you to follow in the footsteps of the wise man, imitate the urgency of the shepherds, and don't let anything or anyone hold you back from seeking God. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, and now here's Pastor Mike with a message called, Go the Extra Mile. Some wonderful CBCer bought me a uh, gift card to a high-end steakhouse that I happened to use the gift card last week. Uh, fancy place in Newport Beach, actually in Corona Del Mar, right off of PCH there. And um, so I, I went to go get some of their famous prime rib. <clears throat> and as I pull up, uh, Carlin, my wife says, as I've heard many times throughout my marriage, she says. Um, Oh, yeah, my, my dad used to take me here when I was a kid. <laughs> of course, I'd never been there. Um, I heard that a lot because though we grew up t together in the same place, we, we, we ran in two different circles. Uh, I like to remind her, her family was white collar, mine was blue collar, and that means when she says things like, oh, we've stayed in that hotel, or we went there on our vacation, or, you know, those are th I'm like, never been there. I had a great family, great home, wouldn't trade it for anything, but I'll tell you what, um, uh, she went to places I never went and ate at places I've never been to, and so she says that, we walk in and we, we have some prime rib, which of course she had had before, but uh, <clears throat> I um, recognize as I was thinking through that kind of clash of worlds that have come together, that uh, it's a bit like the nativity scenes that I see when I go you know, to your homes and I see you have the nativity I think we have one at our house, I'm not sure. Uh, little figurines there, and, and uh, not the microscopic one I was talking about the other, the other week, but uh, full-size ones, the figurines sitting there on your mantle or whatever, and usually you've got the, uh, you got, you got the baby Jesus, you've got Joseph, you've got Mary, and then you've got flanked on both sides. Oftentimes it's, it's three on one side, three on the other, and the three on one side, of course, are the, the magi, and then they're dressed royally, and sometimes the, the facts are all wrong. Number one, they wouldn't have visited them at the Bethlehem manger. It's, it's, I won't get into all that. But anyway, they show them there, depict them there. They got crowns on, they're dressed, dressed fancy. And then across on the other side, you usually have like two or three shepherds that are there. And um, what we don't normally recognize, particularly because they paint the shepherds as nice as they paint the, you know, the, the, the magi, um, and they're clean and they look good. But the reality is these are two worlds colliding, at least in the nativity scene. Uh, because the Magi would come later. But the point is, I think to myself, these, these people would never be, you know, vacationing at the same place. I mean, one, it's the Ritz-Carlton, and the other, it's, you know, KOA. If you, if, you know what the, if you don't know what that is, then you went, 
You ran in my wife's circle, but uh, <laughs> vacation was K-O-A. Do you know that? Some of you know that. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, some normal people here. That's good. Uh, so I, I just want you to realize what a strange thing it was for you to buy a set that you've set up and, and you really have people from two different worlds. Talk about white collar and blue collar. You've got that going on in the traditional nativity set. And, and maybe, maybe that comes to mind when you read that jarring sentence in Genesis 49 as you read through the Bible every year with us and you get to that passage and it's just a strange passage. Remember, Joseph is there, he's, you know, he's reconciling with his brothers and family, trying to situate them somewhere in Egypt and they have to go sequester them down in Goshen. You remember the story? And there's this weird little sentence there that says... Uh, uh, because all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. And, and I know it's hard for us as, as, as Bible readers, you know, as Christians, to, to read that because I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, shepherd to us, not a bad thing. I mean, shepherd, you think about, you know, Moses was out there shepherding, Abraham was shepherding, uh, David, of course, a famous shepherd who becomes the king. We have the shepherds in our nativity. We don't think of shepherds as detestable. But it wasn't just Egypt. I mean, a lot of cultures saw them as detestable. Uh, even in Jewish culture in the first century, uh, you were considered ceremonially unclean if you were a shepherd. Doesn't mean you were like an outcast of society necessarily, but it did mean you're not gonna come into the temple complex. I mean, you work with animals, there's blood, there's, you know, there's, there's feces, there's all this stuff you gotta do. It's just not a, it's, it's considered a ceremonially unclean uh, uh, occupation. Even uh, the philosophers, like Aristotle, talked about the, uh, the shepherds. It's a, it's a notoriously lazy occupation, right? It just was not seen as, 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 as the respectable white-collar occupation to have. Well, the reason the shepherds play so prominently in the nativity scene, of course, is because they play so prominently in the birth of Christ's narrative. And I'd like you to look at a passage where we see the shepherds, and maybe as we read it, with that little background in mind, something that's said here uh, will jump off the page this time when we read it. So let's go to Luke chapter 2, and let's see where the shepherds here are out there keeping watch over their flocks by night. Very, very, very familiar passage at Christmas time, but let me read it for you, starting in verse number 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now here's the part that should jump off the page if you understand a little bit about the view of the shepherds. Shepherds that couldn't, they wouldn't, were even allowed to be called into court to testify. I mean, they, they, they were not seen as, as part of the in crowd. What does it say? That will be for all the people. All the people, including you, you shepherds. Right? Everyone is going to have the the. the benefit of the coming of the Messiah, which he goes on to say in such hugely poetic and, and, and theological words. Look what it says in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. I mean, that's just filled with references to the idea of the concept of the Lord coming to save, about the Messiah being the, the crowned uh, king of the son of David and the government resting on his shoulders, uh, being born in the city of David. Uh, which is not the reference as often was the case to one of the hills in Jerusalem, but the place where he was born that Micah 5.2 said that the Messiah would come from. This is just a, a, a rich sentence. 
And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, here it comes, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, which is the accurate reading of that text, by the way. And I'm thinking, here he's coming and bringing news to even shepherds. And you even have these, these um, magi coming from the east, as we talked about a couple of weeks back. And here they come, and God is allowing them the favor of seeing uh, the, the young Christ at that point. Now, what I want to focus on just for a couple minutes this morning, on Christmas morning, is this. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Okay, now you read that. It's so common. It's so familiar. You think, well, okay, of course that's what happened. But I just want to make a few observations about this. This is such an important reality that you have angels coming to speak to shepherds and the shepherds being included in the good news and them then responding by saying, well, well let's go see this thing that has happened. He said, we're going to see a sign, this baby wrapped in, in swaddling claws and lying in a manger of all places. Uh, let's go and see this thing. What I think is interesting about their immediate response is it says there in verse uh, 16 that they went in haste they hurried along, is that they saw this message as one coming from, look at the bottom of verse 15, it's coming from the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, God is communicating where to go to see the young, you know, toddler Jesus, right? Because by that time, he's a year, pushing two years old, by directing them through, you know, they're, they're, they're the stars. And yet here you have the shepherds, the common folks, the, the blue-collar guys, uh, and they're getting a direct message from angels, which they're now attributing, as they ought to, from God. Just like the Magi should say, well, Daniel's prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and however God did that, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he directs them and surely they're crediting God and God's prophetic word and God's direction to bring them to Bethlehem to see the child, Jesus. But here we have something that seems even more direct because they're messengers from heaven. Angelos, we've talked about that recently. The word angelos transliterated angel. It just means a messenger. In this case, we're talking about heavenly messengers that come from God's throne room. They're dispatched to bring the message about the coming of the birth of the Messiah. And they're just saying, listen, this is what the Lord has said. But I want to ask you, if you're sitting there and you sit down, who did you hear this from? Say you didn't hear this. And, and they said, well, we heard it from the Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute. You heard it from the Lord? They'd have to clarify, well, we didn't hear it from the Lord, right? We did hear it from the Lord, but we heard it from the angels. We heard it from a messenger. There was an intermediary that came and gave them the information, and yet they rightly attributed the information to God. That's a very important thing for us to do, is to recognize that the things that God communicates to us he communicates to us with the full authority of heaven, but you've got to figure out, now, how does he speak to us? Because if I said this, have you heard from the Lord this week? I know a lot of people in our very touchy-feeling culture that we have would have to think, wow, was I, was, did I ever sit you know, quietly and contemplatively? Maybe I was sitting on, a, on the beach or, I don't know, was, I took a nap, I had a feeling, I you know, I'd burned incense, I was sitting crisscross applesauce. Is there a time, I don't know, where I felt like I heard from the Lord? And you're going to think about feelings. I just want you to know God has spoken 
And he speaks, in this case, to us, the Bible's very clear, in his written word. As a matter of fact, the passage I want you to turn to real quick, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, right, apostle, writing to Timothy, a pastor, pastoring a very important church in Ephesus, and uh, as he's talking to him about what's important, he's going to bring them back to one of the most important texts about the Bible in the Bible, which is a text about the nature of Scripture. But he starts this way in verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, do you have an ESV, an English Standard Version? Do you see a little tiny number next to that word you? Uh, or whom, rather? Do you see that whom? Does that, what does it say in the margin there if you had your readers on? Plural. Okay, plural. So we're not talking here about you know you've learned it from God. Right? It's like angels, in this case, were plural in, in, in Luke 2. A bunch of angels, a multitude of the heavenly who sh showed up. And they all confirmed this message. These voices brought a message. But when they turn around and say, hey, we've heard this from the Lord, singular, right, the God of the universe, uh, we know it came through the intermediary messengers of angelic beings. Now, he's already talked about Timothy having this great heritage in his life of Lois and Eunice. He's got a mom and a grandmom who have been teaching him biblical truth from, from his childhood. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say it here. But as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood, verse 15, you've been acquainted with the sacred scriptures or writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here are many people teaching him this and he's got the writings of scripture and he's been hearing these things through people. Just like we saw in 2 Timothy 2.2 when he says, you're going to entrust what's been entrusted to you to faithful people who will be able to entrust them to other people. right? And, and, and that chain of discipleship, very important that we understand that oftentimes the teaching of God's word is coming through agency, coming through teachers, coming through people that relay it to you. Like if you've become a Christian, I, I assume certainly in your adult life, if you became a Christian, you had probably people that weren't your mom or your dad sharing the message with you. They didn't just hand you a Bible and say, here, go read this. But they were giving to you biblical truth. They were relaying to you biblical information. And you can say, well, I've had some good, reliable evangelists or disciplers in my life, but what's really all behind that? Look at verse 16 now. What's behind it is the writings themselves. All scripture, the writings, the Bible, is, now this is interesting and it's very important if you've got an English Standard Version, NIV, different translations, will say this just the way it literally is, which is as wooden as you can get it. Breathed out by God, or some translations, God breathed. Now, the reason a lot of translations don't translate it that way, you may have a translation in your lap, and say, ah, it doesn't say that. It says, is given by inspiration of God. And you think, well, that sounds different. Well, it sounds different because what you're reading in those translations really is a word that was lifted from Latin, and it's the Latin word inspiro. And from inspiro, they transliterate that into English, and they said, well, inspiration. Now, the problem with using that word is, sadly, that we don't use the word inspiration in common English the way they did in, in the 15th, 16th, 17th century. But the point is, you have this word, God breathed, and then if you think given by inspiration of God, 
the problem is you think about the Bible being something that was, I don't know, uh, given because people were moved by God to have an inspiring thought or they had some stroke of genius or they thought of something very interesting and they had a really good thought about God as they sat on a cliffside overlooking the Mediterranean Sea or they were sitting, you know, with their legs crossed, you know, contemplating and meditating the reality of the universe and they had this great thought about God and they wrote it down and we'd say, oh, it's like a piece of art and, a, and an artist was inspired to write this. It doesn't say the authors are inspired. Inspired, we use that word to talk about a stroke of genius, to have some, some act of creativity kind of well up within us. Or some people will think, well, when you talk about the inspiration of the Bible or the Bible and inspiration as a word, sometimes people think, well, what you mean by that is when you read it, you're inspired to do good things. I want to do good works. I want to I follow God. I want to live a virtuous life, and I'm inspired by the Bible. It doesn't say that we are inspired by the Bible. It is God-breathed. And now in our English text, thankfully, a lot of English texts now say, breathed out by God. So here's the point. You got people in your life, Eunice, Lois, me, Paul would say to Timothy, and we've all taught you something. And it's accurately like a messenger coming from God's authoritative word, we're bringing you that information. We're teaching you. We're preaching to you. We're discipling you. We're training you in the truth of God. But the thing that has all authority are the very words of God, and the very words of God are what the scriptures actually are. They're breathed out by God. It's as though God said these things. And what the Bible is, in codif is, is codifying, or I like, I like to say, inscripturating for us, putting into black and white in sentences, is God's words. God's got things to say. And he uses New Testament authors and Old Testament authors to put those things down in writing. And when they're in writing, God says, these are breathed out by me. God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. And because it's God breathed, it's profitable for people picking it up and teaching other people. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for you reproving someone, which means you point out their fault. It's profitable for correcting someone who's going down the wrong path. It's profitable for training them up in doing righteous things so that when people hear that information, the man of God can be equipped, complete, for every good work, he's ready to go. So I just need you to see that even in a normal course of action, there is a person affected by the authoritative word of God, but there's an intermediary in between so often. And I just want you to know that sometimes when I say, have you heard from God this week? You think, well, of course not. God hasn't spoken to me, but he probably has in many ways. And all you have to do is look back to, did I read the Bible? Did anybody read the Bible to me? Did anybody talk accurately about the Bible? Did anybody explain a Bible verse to you? Did anybody in, in a book that you, that you read, some Christian described or discussed some biblical principle and made it clear to you and accurately reflects the God-breathed words of God? Well, if so, you've heard from God. And that's a big deal. And I don't know if you want to take notes on Christmas morning, but if you want to write something down besides who to write thank you notes to, write this down. Reconsider the importance of God's words. God has spoken. And here's the deal. He's using people. He's using the printed page. He's using Christian books. He's using Christian podcasts, Christian radio, to get that information into your life. And you need to know it comes with the authority of heaven, right? Not bad teaching, not people who twist and distort the scripture, but anytime it's accurately presented to you. If I said to you, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the answer to the human craving of the soul. I said that last night. 
If I've said that to you, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. That's exactly what those verses mean. Right? God spoke to you in that. If I said something simple, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, not perish, have everlasting life. I read that, I quote that, you've just heard from God. Those are God's God-breathed words. So the shepherds hear angels, and those words from angels, they rightly attribute God has spoken, even though it's not God that is speaking directly, God is speaking through an intermediary, and that's so important for us to catch. I want you to start feeling that sense of, 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 of like sobriety and profundity when someone says to you, uh, here's a biblical truth, if it's rightly presented, you should be good Bereans, make sure it is rightly presented and it's not being twisted or distorted or in some way you're not being lied to with you know, Bible references here and there, but you really have good biblical truth being presented to you. That's God's words. And when God speaks, you know what? You ought to listen. When God has something to say, you ought to make sure that you're paying attentive attention to it. Three quick commitments to this. Number one, read the Bible directly. That's the most important thing you can do. The other thing you can do is make a commitment to come to church. If you come to a church like this one, guess what we're all about? Teaching the Bible. And sometimes, as Peter said about Paul's writings, some things in them are hard to understand. That's why God has given the church teachers, right? Where they make mistakes. Sometimes, uh, you know, they say something or they misquote something. But here's the deal. If they're rightly presenting the basic truth of Scripture to you in any passage, right, you need to say the Lord has spoken, Right? And that's why you should come to church more than once a week. You should come to sub-congregations where we preach the word. You should come to men's Bible study or women's Bible study or come to the youth programs here because you need to hear the word of God taught. And it's so important that you engage in that. Commitments, read the Bible, come to church. These are basic things, but this is where you get to hear the authoritative word of God. Another thing would be um, there are people that really have spent so much time mastering certain areas of the Bible, and they are offering to teach you those things in Christian books and in classrooms. I could get into more details, but just those three we should start. I want to read the Bible, I want to go to church, and I want to take advantage of experts, whether that's in print or in lectures. I want to do what I can to ground myself in the truth of God's Word because God is speaking, and if God is speaking, you ought to be listening. You're listening to Focal Point. Today's message is titled, Go the Extra Mile. And Pastor Mike will be back in just a moment with an important announcement, so stay with us. Don't forget you can listen to this program or any of our previous messages anytime when you go to focalpointradio.org. At Focal Point, we're excited to help you seek after God and become more like Christ each day as you listen and apply God's truth in your life. And that's the reason we're here. And if you're ready to step up and help bring this program to others who desperately need to hear God's truth, we invite you to become part of our team of Focal Point supporters by giving a special year-end donation. The new year is just around the corner, but there is still time to send in your gift. When you give, we'll show our thanks by sending you this month's featured resource called The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. It's a top-rated Bible study for new and seasoned believers alike. The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible delivers historical, cultural, and contextual insights so you can better understand Scripture. There are fascinating charts, graphics, and timelines to enrich your reading experience by highlighting the key events, themes, and applications found in each book of the Bible. So request your copy when you give before the end of the month. Call 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. 
Well, now before we wrap up, here's Pastor Mike with a special announcement. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me. From August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024, we're going to discover the splendor of God's Word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org Alaska to learn more. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Get more information about how you can join us in Alaska at focalpointministries.org Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back for part two of a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Go the Extra Mile. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.